But this morning, this is my favourite subject. So you are really in for a, for a, a treat. Uh, because this subject is a subject that is really close to my heart. So I'm going to preach this subject out pretty easily. And if you're a visitor and not a Christian, you're going to work out pretty soon that I'm passionate about this subject. And this subject is the power of the gospel. We've been working our way through the armour of God and talking about each piece of the armour. We touched, of course, on the, um, the belt of truth buckled around us, that if we have any uh, lack of integrity, if we don't understand doctrine, then we're in danger of slipping over and being slaughtered by the enemy. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. We looked at the uh, helmet of salvation to understand the knowledge and the truth that we are saved and that is there and that gives us authority. It says whose side we're on and in the ancient world you'd go into battle and you would know by the colours of the helmet who that person represented and we represent the authority of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Still applies today. When you see police officers that pull over speeding pastors going to preach somewhere, um, they put their hat on and they have a badge and as they walk towards you, that badge represents all the power of Canadian government. If you mess with that police officer, it's not the person, it's the uniform, it's the badge, it's the helmet, they have the authority and if I... If I oppose that Mountie at that moment, then I get all the Mounties of Canada after me. And if I oppose all the Mounties of Canada, then I get all of the Canadian forces after me. And if that fails, I get Stephen Harper and after me. And, you know, he's in Kuwait today. So, so you know, that's it. And if that fails, you get the Queen and she's lovely. Um, <laughs> So, so the authority of our status in who we are and that we remember we live by truth. We speak in a renewed mind of salvation, knowing where it belongs. We are covered and have received a breastplate of righteousness that causes us to act, that causes us to receive, that causes us to be different. The word righteousness has two parts to it. It has the part whereby I receive it as a gift. I am in rags and Christ has dressed me and given me forgiveness and accepted me because of all that he achieved on the cross. And righteousness in the Hebrew, of course, means doing acts of right things. I want to live like that and be like that. But now we move on to the shoes of the readiness of the gospel. The gospel of peace, putting on the shoes and making a difference. That we, in our lives and the way that we are, we are willing to say, yes, I am ready. I want to move out in the power of the gospel and allow the power of the gospel to change the world. So let me talk about this. The most dangerous thing a church could ever become, and which is the kiss of death on a church, is isolation. If we become isolated, if we become insular, if we start to lock in and become a country club and we allow ourselves to become a group of people that are exclusive and we don't welcome the community, that is the kiss of death on any church. 
In fact, some churches have made it so difficult for you to even go to their churches because they're, what they're really saying is you have to meet this criteria before you are welcome in the gathering, before you are welcome to look and see the people of God worshipping and seeing what is happening. In my own denomination, the Plymouth Brethren, uh, we were open, but we weren't very open. I mean, we had armed guards at the doors of the church. Um, but you go to it and you had to bring a letter. And the letter had to say that you were truly saved of somebody else. And then you had to walk in. And then they had to read the letter. And they had to check that you were able to take communion. And if you were not known to people, you wouldn't be welcomed or take communion. You couldn't just say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm saved. Because they'd all look at you in that way and go, mm. I, that was guaranteed to kill churches. And my denomination, churches died in the 80s and 90s, died after died. They just died because they became so isolated, so even self-righteous in their position that they forget that the Christianity is about putting shoes on and about moving out. The kiss of death comes when we are not willing to welcome the world and we're not willing to reach the world. He uses this phrase. Now when Paul uses this phrase in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, he talks about the readiness of the gospel, of the shoes of peace, the, the gospel of peace, the readiness of placing them on. He's got one amazing uh, thought in his mind. He writes in this place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition, take this up. In the feet fitted, there are three words that I really want to share with you. One, about being ready. Two, about the gospel. And three, about the power of the gospel of peace and peace. But as he was writing these words, it is no doubt that in his mind, he had Isaiah 52 in his mind. Most gorgeous scripture. And the scripture speaks about how beautiful are the feet of those. Look at this. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. As Paul is writing to the Ephesians about shoes, about being fitted with the right shoes, I can imagine that he is thinking about these glorious verses, particularly this verse that declares, you know, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. It's gorgeous. Do you remember that, that song in the 80s? Our God reigns, you know. I can't sing. Um, and guaranteed that, that chorus that every hand in the church would go up. You know, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. And we'd all sing, our God reigns. 80s were great for songs. And, and I love that. But you know, what it really talks about... Is, is about after a major battle has been won, what would happen is that they would send out a runner 
to the nation, to the towns, to the capital. And this runner would run over the hills and the mountains and would declare to everybody, the battle has taken place. We have won a great victory. We can rejoice. The most famous example is that, of course, of Marathon and the in Greek um, history. And and, and in this sense, there is a sense that those who are ready to take the gospel to the world are those that realize that a mighty battle has been won. And they're running through the nation from town to town declaring the battle has been won. We have gained the victory. It's all changed. It's come through. God has done it. Now let me tell you something, that's exactly a beautiful picture of what Paul wants to communicate to us as Christians. That we mustn't forget that 2,000 years ago on the cross, as Christ was hanging there and dying and he gave up his last breath and on the third day rose again, that the trumpet sound, he had risen and we were running through the world now declaring the great battle has been won. There is forgiveness, there is victory. There is grace. There is eternal life. It is given to the world right now. The victory has been won. So put your shoes on, get on the mountains and get running. That's what it means. And and we we mustn't forget that it's about communicating a major glorious victory. In fact, the greatest victory that has ever happened on the face of this planet. Christ dying on the cross. And you may be new to this Christianity stuff. You may not understand all of this. But let me tell you, the supernova event of all history is Christ dying and rising again. Because it gives humanity eternal life. It gives humanity forgiveness. It gives humanity the hope that humanity really needs. And so we've got to get our shoes on and we've got to run those mountains. So what is the word here really? The word is ready. It's you and I being ready. It's you and I being ready to move, to make a difference. It's about this idea that the word ready is about moving from place to place. In other words, we are never static as church. We've always got to be willing to change. We've always got to be willing to adapt. We've always got to look at culture. And believe me, today... In, in Western world, we have come through the summer, we've faced the autumn, but many theologians and thinkers are thinking with the statistics of church attendance in Europe down to two, three, four percent that we're entering a time of winter in the church. The people are not interested. They are not seeking the way they used to. And we're trying, to, we're trying to work our way through that. But you know, we've got to be willing to be ready to adapt to the change of our society so we can keep moving, as it were, metaphorically from place to place and keep sharing the gospel in new, in, uh, creative ways to our, our culture. So... When we think about the shoes, because Paul was writing about a Roman soldier. And of course, Romans had developed an amazing uh, technology in terms of shoes. The leather-clad shoe and Romans were trained to march because the power of the way Romans uh, won battles was because they were quick and they would move distances and they were never lazy. 
They would put on these shoes, uh, and actually the Roman shoe had spikes in them. And they had nails put in them, and so the leather would cover the foot, the spikes would come out, a little bit like your golf shoes. And so when you go in to battle, you could stand the ground, you weren't slipping around, and you could get momentum because of the shoe you were wearing and it enabled the Roman army to move quickly because they were rooted, solid, always ready, always ready to march. In basic training of a Roman soldier, they would learn to march 20 Roman miles in, 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 in five hours or six hours. They would move quickly through, through the daytime. They would carry their packs with them. And then they would move for 20 miles. They would build a structure or a small fort. And then they would rest there. And they were able to do that. And that's what they would do for training. They would just move them quickly. Because speed and the ability to be mobile meant victory. And I think... As church and as, as individuals, if we're not willing to adapt the way we reach out to the world, then we're going to become slow, we're going to become old, and we're in danger of being taken out. We've got to be mobile. We've got to be willing to move because great victories are won by mobility. Great victories are won by the ability to adapt and the ability to change, the ability to reach out. And we have to be able to do this. Uh, this started with Alexander the Great. He was the, one of the most quickest mobile generals of all time, moving from place to place. Julius Caesar won in battles because of the footwear and because of mobility, um, Cromwell, Oliver Cromwell, was known, and Munroes, if you're into uh, European history, was known because of their stealth and their ability to change direction. These, these great generals were able to do this. Even in recent history, you've got the march of the British army across the Falkland Islands, 52 miles, and to, to bring that surprise attack, they never thought they could march it, and they never thought they could do it, and it gave them the distinct advantage while they were thousands and thousands of miles away from Europe. You and I, we have to be willing to adapt. We have to be willing to take this gospel and be able to connect with people as we move from place to place. As you do your shopping in Superstore, you're willing to adapt and talk to people. As you connect with people in, in, in Starbucks or for most of you in Tim Hortons. And, and you go and you sit and you make conversation. Are you willing to connect with people? Are you willing to talk to them? Are you willing to reach out in the places of work where God has placed us in a sensitive way? Are we willing to bring the good news of the gospel? Are we willing to make a, a difference? There's a, there's a great verse in uh, Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. I think Paul has this in mind. He says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. In other words, the way that we reach the world and we reach outsiders, and you, if you're not a Christian, uh, 
there is this, this shift that happens when you become a Christian, when you're outside the kingdom of God and you become part of the family of God. That's what it means. It says, be wise in the way you act towards those who are outside of faith, those who aren't Christians. Make the most of every opportunity. In other words, the Lord asks us to be really wise in how we reach people and we take we take opportunity to really, to really reach into people's lives. We don't waste opportunity, but we're actually willing to step in and talk to people. Let your conversation be always full of grace. In other words, you're not there Bible bashing them, pulling out your evangelical submachine gun and your little you know, Bible grenade. Bang! Hey, God bless you. I love you. Boom. And walk away. It's full of grace. It's full of love. It's seasoned with salt. And I think for some of us, we need to learn to become more seasoned with salt. We need to learn to become engaged with people, talk with people, seasoned in conversation, so that you may know how to answer everybody. You know, I was chatting to a guy this week who works in the oil patch and uh, has worked in the oil patch most of his uh, life. And I was fascinated because I had, I had one question on my mind because, you know, you talk about the oil patch. I mean, I don't know what the oil patch is. I know it's near Grand Prairie uh, somewhere. I've never been to the oil patch, but guys say, yeah, I'm working in the oil patch. And I go, yeah. What is it? You know, what is it? In the, in the camps. And I'm imagining camps. But then they tell me more about the camps. And there's supermarkets in the camps. And there's all of this. And I'm, I'm trying to work it out. And I said to him, how, do you be, how are you a Christian in the middle of the oil patch and witness for Christ? Well, he admitted it was really a challenge. But, you know, he told me a little story of a guy that he saw that worked on his team who was completely covered in tattoos. And across his, his chest, he had, you know, tattooed on his chest, tortured. On his arm, he had tattooed pain. On another part, he had agony. He had sin. He had hate. I mean, this guy looked pretty, you know, tattooed across his head. You know, words that were destructive and painful. And he just looked this kind of tough, tattooed individual with all of these horrific words. So I said, what did you do? He said, I just went and tapped on his... And his um, uh, window in his car, wound down the window and just started to love on him and talk to him and chat to him and get to know him. And I thought that is salty. That we are willing to engage with people that even may seem tortured and in pain. And although he had it tattooed on his body, let me tell you something. There is a lot of people without tattoos and they sit around and they're working on the job site who are tortured, who are in shame, who are in agony. And what it needs is a wise, gracious, caring Christian that will sit down with them and start to listen to them and show God's love to them. Not, not condemn them, not tear them to pieces. They've already condemned themselves. They know they're condemned. They've got 
a string of bad relationships. They're trying to get out of, a, perhaps I'm doing a stereotype here, um, a problem of dependency. I don't know. Everybody's got a mad story, but we've got the best story because we are wearing the feet of the shard with the gospel of peace, of good news, and we've got to get ready and we've got to get moving. So, well, thank you so much. Never have a problem with that, do I? <laughs> and that, that's a nice segue to the next verse. Look at Romans chapter 10. Perfect. Preach it, Phil. And as the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jews and Gentiles. The same Lord is the Lord of all And richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Will be saved. I love that. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? You have a number of key words and then it goes on to the beautiful quote, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And you have this sense here in scripture that he's actually talking the number of words here I want to pick up on. First of all, they've got to hear. They've got to hear the message. That may be a gentle conversation over a cup of coffee. It may be a talk at the bus stop. It may be on the job site, but they've got to hear the message to believe. And that's why we must never stop declaring the gospel as church. Because when we stop declaring the power of the gospel, the church loses its authority. It loses its purpose. It loses its direction. When we forget the power of the gospel to change lives, we become weak. We lose our strength. We lose our authority. So we have to be willing to to preach, whatever that means. It means that when you come to church, you will hear again, preached again and again, the power of the cross, salvation, inviting people to believe. That is important. When we have dinners at the Hope Center, we, we talk about the kingdom of God and the gospel. When we have youth events and when we reach out and when we go out and chat to people, we want to introduce them to the greatest battle story of history. We want to have good news and we want to have beautiful feet. It's about being sent. In other words, we're always in the position of saying, Lord, how are you going to use me today? What are you going to do? What's going to take place? Lord, what are you going to say? How can I be used today? How can I be used to witness and to share? And of course, it says that we've got beautiful feet. I'm reminded of the story in 2 Samuel chapter 15, and there's a verse 14. And it talks about David. This may seem strange for you at a moment, but let me explain. Absalom has taken the kingdom. David has been king. He's reigned. The glory of his reign, the strength of the warrior king, the right of the poet, the psalmist. But he has a son who is full of bitterness and anger. And the son puts himself in front of the, 
of the gate. And as people come with their complaints, the son kisses them and loves them and, and, and says, oh, you, the king can't hear, but go back and tell your, uh, your villages if only Absalom was king. If only this. And he, he, he shares to them and he deceives them and he undermines David. And you know, against the church, there is an Absalom that wants to take away the power of the gospel, to take away our authority, to deceive us, and to turn us into a kind of message that we preach is simply this. Jesus showed us how to live a good life. No. Yes, we live good lives, but I live a good life because I've been saved by the power of the gospel. I live a good life because I am a wretched sinner who was rescued from the fire and given life. And yet Absalom is all around us, kissing and greeting, deceiving and speaking, working, taking, undermining the church with authority, that we become almost embarrassed at sending out the good news. Let me tell you something. There are so many tortured people with with things tattooed on their hearts that they need their whole life to be washed in the blood of Christ so that they can be made new again. And so... We understand. We understand here that, that we have to be willing to, to see uh, David has lost his authority. And you get this uh, incredible verse, verse. I think it's verse 14. And he says, verse 30. And, but David continued up the Mount of Olives weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefooted. He'd lost his status. He'd lost his authority. We know through scripture that when you become barefooted, that you lose your status, you lose your authority, you become an orphan, you become a beggar, and the church must never become an orphan. We are ready. We move from place to place. We are mobile. We will change because we will make this message accessible to every person in this world, every person in Rutland, every person in Kelowna, because we have such a glorious message and we are rooted in the gospel. Why? Because Christianity is a contact sport. It's not an exercise class where you go in and you look at everybody and you do your exercise and you walk out and you never talk to anybody. And yet our churches become exercise classes. Where we look at each other and we know each other, but we kind of, you know, it's good, good to see you here again. You're keeping spiritually fit. You're doing it. But really what it is, it's contact. You've got to touch people. You've got to talk to people. You've got to know people. I got so frustrated teaching one church in England about how to do personal evangelism. I said to the pastor, you've got a problem. He said, I know I've got a problem. I said, you've got a big problem. He said, I know. He said, what's the problem? I said, the problem is this. We don't need to teach them how to do evangelism. We need to teach them how to learn to be friends with people who are unbelievers. We have to be willing to teach And often it's our friendship abilities that we can lack, that we become so caught up. We try and do our Christianity as a non-contact sport, like this picture, which is, this picture is, is, is evil. This is the greatest game in the world, next to hockey. (coughs) And... 
And they're trying to play international football in these little plastic sealed bags. Look, there's even a ball. It's hilarious. It's disgusting. It's from the very pit of darkness. It is, look at it. But that's how you are trying and I can try and, that's how the Pharisees did mission. It's a contact sport. Why? Because very simply put, the devil wants to rip souls and condemn them to eternity. The devil wants to oppose the message of rescue. The devil, the devil wants to keep us from believing and from taking this gospel. And this is why it's a spiritual battle in Ephesians 10 and 20. We have to be rooted in the gospel completely. Now, when I was young, I had one of these, I was eight years old, I guess I was Josiah's age, I had one of these um, inflatable punch bags with a face on the front. Do you remember those? Somebody told me last night they were called weebles. But when it, I, I, I thought weebles were little plastic things, weeble, wobble, but they don't fall down and they were like little egg-shaped ugly things. But, but this was, was this. And I used to get there and I was eight. I was ready and I'd punch it. It was great. It had a picture of a clown on the front. And I'd punch it and it'd go down and come up. And I'd punch it again. It'd go down and go. I'd kick it and it'd go down and come up. And every time I did this, it went down and came up because its weight was in the bottom. And every time you attacked it, it sprung up because it was all the weight was below. And this is the story of the church that the weight has to be in the gospel. It's in our shoes. It's in what propels us. It's what takes us from place to place. It's the message of salvation. And the enemy comes along and he wants to knock us down, but the church keeps bouncing up because he's got the gospel of the power of the cross at the bottom, the foundation, the rock, and we bounce up again. And the enemy can't stand that. That's why mission is so important. That's why being a mission organization, that's why when you read the history of the Mennonite brethren, we were birthed in mission, we grow in mission, we are sent in mission, we plant churches all over the world. There are more Mennonite brethren churches in Congo than there are in Canada. Why? Because our DNA is gospel and revival and the revivals that burst, not in, just in Wales, but burst in the Ukraine and Russia where God's power was poured out in the 1850s. That's our heritage. But you see, if we don't have the weight in the gospel, then we've got nothing. And I punched, I punched that little inflatable clown like nobody's ever punched anything to keep it down. It's a great take. I'm going to buy one after this um, for my son. I was horrible though as a child because I decided one day that I'd hit it again but I'd use a different technique and I borrowed, I borrowed one of my mum's little carving knives and as that smart faced clown came up (laughs) 
it never rose again. <laughs> the beautiful thing is this, that we've got to keep rooted in the cross. But we mustn't let the enemy come and take the breath of God and the power of the Spirit out of the church. Because what the enemy comes, he takes the breath out of us. He takes the life out of us. And for some of us, we've forgotten that we need to remind ourselves every day. I am rooted in the cross and in the gospel. And there are lots of people around who on their hearts are tattooed with anguish and pain. But it takes a friendly, salty, gracious, loving Christian to connect, to start to introduce good news. And you may not like your feet, but when you become somebody that shares good news, the Lord says, you've got beautiful feet. You've got beautiful feet. When you support mission, when you get behind the gospel, when you get behind sharing Christ, you've got beautiful feet. When you take responsibility for your street, you've got beautiful feet. Because you're, you're running and you're declaring the goodness of God.